So um, I'd like to introduce to you uh, Don Egan. I've been with Don Egan and met him uh, three times. Uh, I was invited to a, an event held uh, with leaders across um, the, the south of England and uh, I went up to this leader's time and Don was speaking. He was speaking about healing in the church and then there was opportunity to get prayed for. And um, so I got some prayer and I found God sort of uh, putting a passion, a fresh passion in me for healing and for revival. And uh, so Don was speaking and Don was praying for people and it was, it was just delightful. And so I asked Don whether he'd come across to Henley and help us uh, just in the whole area of praying for people and healing, which sort of is one of my passions. And this is somebody who doesn't uh, shout lots of people and sort of get them sort of all hyped up, but in a very low-key, natural way, talks about uh, Jesus the healer, shares scripture, and then prays for people. And God does, and, and I've seen it through Don, do amazing things. So um, when the other guys were talking about this event and not sure of the speaker, I put up my hand and said, I know a guy who comes quite a distance, all the way from Ipswich, three-hour journey this morning, uh, who might be willing to help us. And Don has come and said he would be willing to help us. So I just want to ask, could we give him a welcome this morning? And uh, Don, over to you. Thank you, Roger. I was trying to think with Roger before how long it was when I last went to Henley, and it could be nearly a decade ago. So it's great to remake uh, that connection again and to see you uh, all be in a different place. So as Roger said, my name's Don Egan. I don't have a white suit or a private jet, uh, and I don't, re I don't really want either. I'd never keep the white suit clean, and private jets are unnecessary. Um, so I run a ministry called RSVP Trust, um, we've all been invited to a great party that's out of this world and uh, God's waiting for the RSVP. Uh, so that's kind of why we called it RSVP. Um, we do a lot of work in Africa. So uh, there's two of us. There's uh, uh, myself, obviously supported by my wife, and um, a lady called Alison Fenning uh, and her husband's a trustee. Um, so I always say that I do the nice people like you... <laughs> Um, because you look nice and I'm happy to deal with you. And Alison does the very extremely scary people, uh, you know, who are in, who've got addictions and works in prostitution and people on the streets and very scary people. And sometimes we've done that together, but I normally stand behind Alison. <laughs> um, so uh, those are the two aspects. So we, I always say, uh, you know, we were very respectable ministry till Alison came along. Since Alison came, I've been stopped by the police three times for curb crawling. And uh, <laughs> as I said to the officer, I am curb crawling. I'm looking for women, but it's not what you think. And he said he'd heard that one before. But um, <laughs> anyway, if you want to know any more, there's some little cards uh, on the uh, bookstall right at the back there and uh, we were discussing what information to put on so there's just the website uh, if you don't even want to type the website if you just put the camera on your phone and point it at that squiggle on the back it will type the website in for you um, so it's very high tech uh, I, I have tried it does work um, one of the things we do 
Uh, we help women out of the sex trade, both in this country um, and, well, Alison does, I'm saying we. Alison helps people out of the sex trade uh, in this country and in Africa. And uh, one of the things we do in Africa is we started a, f- a thing called the Freedom Project. And uh, in certain parts of Rwanda where we work, if, you don't, if you're not educated uh, and you don't have a husband that makes money, really you've got very few options and so many women enter prostitution like that. So we've uh, found that uh, if we train people in dressmaking and provide them with sewing machines uh, over a year's course, uh, some of them, and then we give them a sewing machine, some of them are able to start a business. So they've got an alternative uh, to the sex trade. So there's some packs about that there and uh, pray for us, you know, if you've got loads of money give to it but just pray for it because it's uh, yeah it's a it's a difficult thing but it is having success I've written about 25 books or possibly more because I've been saying that for about three years but um, and I've brought some and they're on the table at the back I just want to draw attention to two uh, there's this one called healing is coming which is uh, the most recent my most recent book about healing Um, But the one I wrote originally back in 2000 uh, seems to be the more popular one. (laughs) Um, But Amazon kindly print that for free now. So um, if you just type my name and a word about your healing into Amazon, uh, it'll come up on there. And uh, they're both books are kind of my thoughts on healing uh, at the time uh, when I wrote them. Um, There's several books about faith and some are lighter. Yes, some years ago, I thought I'd rewrite the Bible. (laughs) Why not? (laughs) Uh, It was a, I'm slightly mad as you'll gather as I go along. Um, But I just had this idea. I was struggling to understand something in the Old Testament. And, you know, I'm not Jewish and I didn't live 3,000, 4,000 years ago. And, And I know that when the writers of the Old Testament stories put things in and put place names in, all these things mean something Um, but because I'm so uh, detached from that time and that world it's really difficult sometimes to get down to what they were actually talking about so I had this mad idea what would it be like if the entire bible happened in Manchester because that's where I grew up and so I know all about Manchester and then I would understand the bible so it's not really the bible but it is the arc of the Bible narrative told in a sort of comedy. It's it's like a Wallace and Gromit version of the Bible. Um, And so the first couple are called Albert and Edna. And uh, and it's not the Garden of Eden, it's Piccadilly Gardens in Manchester. And so, and uh, it's not the Tower of Babel, it's Blackpool Tower and and so on and so forth. Um, But the great thing is, but it is obviously when we get to the cross, it's a a serious story and that's reflected uh, although it's a, a comedy book up until then. And uh, many of my sort of non-Christian relatives and friends have read this, um, and they've kind of got the sweep of the Bible without actually reading the Bible. Um, so that's just that. I'll just uh, mention that. Um, if you've got your Bibles, the real ones, not the, not the pretend Manchester ones... <laughs> and it does say on the front it's an allegory, so... I don't really believe that God lives in a town near Oldham, but uh, for the purpose of that story, that's kind of uh, where he lived. 
handy to get the right talk rather than this afternoon's workshop. Let me put some of these things here. Yep, so if you've got your Bible, Acts 10, 38. That says, that word you know how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. I'd be quite happy to be anointed with the Holy Spirit, all power, but it says that Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power. I'm not quite sure what that means, but obviously it was full on. He had the full complement uh, of God's presence. Um, I've been married to my wife for 40 years uh, in August. And uh, I don't know how she survived that really, but anyway, she has. But uh, I once heard her telling a friend uh, that I was a model husband. I was in the dining room kind of doing some research for a book and she had a friend round for coffee and I just overheard her telling my uh, her friend that I was a model husband and I thought this is amazing my wife she's never said that to me my wife has just told her friend that I am a model husband anyway I thought better get back on with the, the book and I went back and I, th- I thought my wife <laughs> has just told her friend that I am a model husband And I got so obsessed with a compliment, I looked it up in the dictionary, and it said, model, a small plastic imitation of the real thing. (laughs) And uh, in 1993, I went to the Philippines... And and the furthest I'd ever travelled before then was Dublin, and that was a culture shock. I never went back uh, until recently. And so I landed in the Philippines at midnight with my mad missionary friend. We got in a taxi. There was a hole in the floor of the taxi, and I could see the road below. Half the cars didn't have any headlights on. Everyone was driving too fast, and I thought, I'm going to die. And I noticed on the dashboard of the uh, taxi was a plastic statue of Jesus. And I remember thinking, we don't need the plastic Jesus. We don't need the small plastic imitation of the real thing. We ne- right now, I need the real Jesus. Because <laughs> I don't think that little plastic statue on the dashboard is going to save me. Anyway, obviously, I didn't die, and here I am. And... Jesus gives us a challenge in John 14, verse 12. He says, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do, because I go to my Father. And I remember as a new Christian, I came to faith aged about 17, so a couple of years ago. And, uh, nobody laughed, that's good. (laughs) And, um, I remember reading that in John's Gospel. I read all the four Gospels uh, as I started reading the Bible. I remember coming to verses like that and thinking, hang on a minute. This is Jesus talking. I say to you, he who believes in me, some translation says, whoever believes in me. Okay. So anyone here believe in Jesus? 
Yeah, there's a few of you. <laughs> so do I. So this includes all of us that just raised our hands. The works that I do, he will do also. Who walked on water this morning? Hmm. Anyone fed 5,000 people with a back lunch today? No, me neither. Anyone raised the dead, been down the local cemetery, popped a few people? No, me neither. Anyone been to a wedding, turned water into wine? I thought someone had raised their hand at the back there. No. Okay, so if we just did what Jesus did, that would be pretty amazing. And then he says, and even greater works than these will he do because I go to my father. So Jesus challenges that because he goes to the father, in other words, he completes his mission and goes to the father and sends the Holy Spirit. And because of that, those who believe in him, who, who have him living in them, will do the things that he has been doing. And um, that was a real challenge. I came to faith, really, um, there was a guy, I mean, I, I didn't go to church as a child, I'm not from a, I'm not from a Christian family. Uh, sometime, I was in the Cubs when I was little and we had to go to church every month or something. And uh, I remember being in the pub with my mate Brian as a teenager working in a youth club. And he said, isn't Jesus wonderful? And started talking about Jesus healing this lady at his church. And I thought, well, the church I went to in the Cubs, I thought it would be more likely that you'd die when you went to church. <laughs> it was so miserable. Musty prayer books. We were told to be quiet. Uh, God seemed to live somewhere near the east window because only the vicars went down. In fact, what really scared me when I was in the Cubs Coming out of church one day, I saw a plaque at the back of the church with about 100 names on. And it says, these are the people who've died in the services. And, <laughs> and, and I, <laughs> I wanted to know, was it the morning service or the evening service? I, I was just a kid. I didn't know it was the military service. So when Brian says, isn't Jesus wonderful, a lady got healed at our church, I thought... What the heck is the church you go to? Strangely, it was a church plant from that church I've just described, which is surprising. And he said a lady called Hilda had Parkinson's disease and was getting very distressed with it. And the vicar said, Jesus taught the disciples to lay hands on the sick and pray in his name uh, for people to be healed. So they'd done that at the communion service the previous Sunday. And when Hilda went to see the specialist on Tuesday, he says, you don't have Parkinson's disease anymore. I don't know what's happened. And, and that was it. She never had Parkinson's disease. And I thought, this is absolutely amazing. And uh, eventually I found myself going down to Brian's church and uh, having this encounter with Jesus. And uh, I haven't escaped ever since. <laughs> so we're still here. And the journey and the adventure continues. And I thought it was interesting what Roger was saying about that word of the cloud coming down and, and some of us are not sure where the next thing is. Um, there's two things I thought about. That one is that the Psalms say that your word is a lamp to my feet. And sometimes in the dark, you just need a word 
if you think of going in, a, if you're out in the Lake District where there's no street lighting and you're using a torch, the torch only lights your next couple of steps. It, you don't see everything with a torch. And I think that's what the psalmist is talking about, like a lamp. Your word is a lamp to my feet. So you only see the next couple of steps. So if you're confused where you're going, I would pray for a word from God for the next couple of steps. And the second thing, if God had shown me what was going to happen at the beginning when I followed him, I'd have run a mile. We only have grace for the next couple of steps and just let Jesus teach us in that journey. And I took the step and uh, came to Christ. And uh, I went into ministry. I got dib-dab-dod by the Archbishop of Canterbury. I don't think he called it dib-dab-dod, but he did something uh, very holy. And, uh, and then they let me do ministry. So that was good. And then um, <laughs> I got this thing to, to travel, to go. Jesus said, go into all the world. And uh, I was stuck in this little town of Stowmarket, which is a good stopping-off place on the way to nowhere. And, uh, you, you, you know, you just get itchy. So some, some of us went to the Philippines, and then we met an African guy and started going to Uganda and Rwanda. And uh, we did what we always did at our church. We laid hands on the sick like we did with Hilda, and some people got healed. And some people, like Martin, who was in a wheelchair with cerebral palsy, came every week for prayer and didn't get healed. But people like Hilda and many others after her came for prayer and did get healed. And so we kept praying. We didn't understand how it worked. And so that church just taught me, just keep praying. We don't understand everything. But the the Bible says, lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And the, the other thing about the Bible I've learned recently that most every promise in the Bible is to community. And I know when people are struggling, we, we give them that verse, and I've done it and would do it. Uh, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. The thing in English, the word you can mean you, Roger, or you, this group of churches, or you, the British people. <laughs> So when we get something translated as you in, from Hebrew or Greek, we only have one word for those three meanings or, you know, even more meanings. But in Greek and Hebrew, there, there's several different words. And the word that's always used is to community. So I know the plans I have for you is to the community of faith of believers, the plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And so in that community... Uh, that God is speaking to, then we can expect the promises to come alive and be manifested. It's like you may think if you're very self-centered and you're a tree, (laughs) that the story is all about me, the tree. Well, if that's how you think, I've got some bad news for you. The story is about the forest. And we are each a tree in the forest. But the story really of life on earth is about the forest. It's about the whole community of human beings on earth. And so I went to Rwanda, and uh, the first time, about two years after the genocide, we had an armed uh, army escort. Uh, terrifying, really. I don't, I don't know what possessed me to, <laughs> to agree to go. And uh, people were still being shot, 
and buildings they had holes in where the war had been a couple of years before. And we went to this church, uh, and I spoke for five days. Uh, it was like a conference like this, but there were about 1,000 to 1,200 people there. And uh, I asked the pastor on the last day, can we pray for the sick? Because I thought we'd been here teaching and hearing the word. That's great. And people seem to be blessed. Some people have come to faith. But really, we should be laying hands on the sick because that's one of the things that Jesus did. And he said, oh, please don't pray for the sick. <laughs> that's what that is the pastor. And he says, we've been through genocide. Everyone in this room is traumatized. Everyone is suffering from, you know, the, the uh, symptoms of post-traumatic stress trauma and if you say if anyone wants prayer for healing they'll all come and I said well I'm not doing anything else today <laughs> so it's okay I thought they won't all come I've never been in a church where they all come anyway so I said to him you can go home if you want you know if you're thinking what time you know how long we're going to be here you go home leave the keys with someone but you know we're not doing anything else today uh, and I thought, you know, maybe a hundred people would come. Anyway, he was right. I was wrong. All 1,200 people came forward. So I said to my mate, who's from Salford, so you've got this Mancunian guy and this Salford guy. I haven't got a clue what we're doing. And I said to him, you know, the middle class thing we do in our church, hello, what would you like prayer for? Well, I'd like prayer for this. And then you get a story. Okay, well, I'll pray for you then. Well, they don't speak English, so if we start that nonsense one-on-one, -on -one, we'd still be there. So I said, we're just going to have to pray. Uh, you know, we don't have time for the interpretation of everyone to tell the story, and God knows what the need is. So we prayed, but I did have this thing that we should lay hands on the sick. And so my thing to my mate was let's make sure that everyone at least gets a touch as we pray and uh, I never really done it before I kind of waded into this crowd of people and I was just thinking what does the bible say about healing something's something's got to happen right now and then I thought ah yeah God said that nothing is impossible with God so something is going to happen because nothing is possible and then I was thinking of scriptures, by his stripes we're healed. And I began speaking out all the scriptures I had memorized about healing. And uh, they couldn't understand them because now the interpreter wasn't in, interrupting my words, <laughs> interpreting my words, and uh, they didn't speak English. But we went through speaking the word of God and with a heart for the poor. And we didn't know what everyone's needs were. Some were sick and so on. And we waded through. And, uh, and about an hour and something later, we kind of got back to the platform exhausted. And I thought, well, thank goodness that's over. <laughs> Maybe the pastor was right. We shouldn't have done that. And then my interpreter, a guy called Norman, great guy, began asking people, or he began making some announcements. And this lady stood up and began shouting and pointing at me and I thought oh dear I've upset this lady and uh, what she was saying was she'd been blind for seven years and she'd been to all the meetings but she didn't know I was a Mazunga she didn't know I was a white man and and but she does now because she can see and the hairs on the back of my neck stood up and then as a young girl over here again same thing seven years blind and she could see a little bit with glasses, but barely at all. And she took her glasses off and said, I can see. 
And then a, a lady over here started touching her toes, said she'd had abdominal cramps for months and couldn't get rid of it, and now the pain has gone. And I whispered to my friend Adam from Salford, <laughs> what did we do different today? Did we stand on one leg? Did we mention the magic scripture? Which one was it? And of course, we didn't, we didn't really do anything differently. We laid hands on the sick and prayed with as much faith as we could muster, which, to be honest, wasn't very much. So it wasn't about us. It was about God had decided at that moment to let all heaven loose. And uh, once you've seen that, your faith rises exponentially. Because you, if you've seen it once, you, you believe you can uh, see it again. And so uh, every time we went back to Rwanda, we had meetings, though, normally between 1,000 and 2,000 people. And we always prayed for the sick. And we were in a field in this village in Rwanda. And we were praying for this sick. And this lady at the front gave this testimony. She had a couple of crutches that she was walking on. And these weren't nice national health lightweight aluminium crutches or whatever ours are made from. These were solid oak, wooden, handmade Rwandan crutches. And she said she was healed, started walking about, and then she threw both crutches into the crowd. And I thought she was going to kill someone. <laughs> but fortunately, the crowd parted and nobody was injured. And I thought, wow. And uh, then we went to a place called Numata where there was a, a, you know, one of the biggest... Uh, places of genocide in Rwanda and uh, I was supposed to go and speak to 30 Anglican clergymen and when we got there there were 12,000 people sat outside the church because they'd heard this white guy's coming and so I found you don't need a white suit in a private jet <laughs> but there are some places where even idiots like me can just turn up and a crowd will gather and so I, I gave the crowd the teaching I'd prepared for the 30 Anglican clergymen. And I thought they were all sat at the front. I thought, I hope you weren't thinking of using these as sermons because they've heard them all. They're, they're all here. And then we began praying for the sick. And uh, on the last night, I felt God was saying, ask for testimony. And I'm like, I don't think anyone's been healed. My faith is often not very high. I think, I don't know, somebody might have got rid of a headache. Anyway... We, we asked for testimonies, and there were some back pains and headaches and things cleared up. But all the time the testimony was going on, there was a man at the back doing this, who caught my eye. And so I said to my uh, interpreter, you know, just ask that man what the story is there. And uh, you might have heard this one before. Four men, he's crippled, so four men carried him on a stretcher to the meeting. And when he said that, I thought, oh, that sounds familiar. <laughs> and we were outside so they didn't have to break the roof. And I thought, Jesus is here. Jesus is doing something. And then I remember after that trip landing at Heathrow and uh, just saying to God as the plane landed, why aren't we seeing these things in the UK? And without hesitation, I felt God say, well, you'll never see them because... You don't expect me to do them in the UK and you don't give me time. Ouch. <laughs> uh, and that was true. I had no expectation that God would do these amazing things that he did in Africa. But because God's not African, 
And he's not British and he's not American. God is God. And so I promised God before I got off the plane, next time I'm asked to speak about healing in the UK, I will pray for the sick and I expect you to do something. Well, late October, I got invited to a little village church. I don't know if it's in Norfolk or Suffolk, but it's near the border. And uh, they said it's an even song, but we pray for the sick at the end. And it's winter, I don't know how many will be there. So I went and there was about 30 people at the service. In fact, I got lost on the way going there. And it was the day before sat-navs. And I don't, why God called me to be a travelling preacher, I have no idea, because I can get lost. I could get lost. I, in fact, I did get lost going to the toilet here before. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd come, and I was going to be on time, but then I got lost in the village and couldn't find the church. Eventually, I found it, a big old Anglican church, freezing cold, 30 people, and, you know, my faith was running low. The only thing that kept me going was they'd advertised it in the church newsletter as even snog with healing. <laughs> I'd never heard of even snog, but I, I thought even I would go and see what that was. <laughs> so I thought even snog might have got a few extras in. And uh, so we had even snog, and then we, <laughs> which turned out just to be even song. And then, <laughs> and then I preached about the man coming down through the roof and then asked for people to come forward. And there were two quite dramatic healings. One was Penny, and um, she had SAD, seasonal affected disorder. And really, it was a miracle that she was at the service. And she'd suffered with it for years, and her son had got the same thing. And her grandson, who was seven, was showing the same symptoms. And um, as she told me what that was, um, I just got the verse from, I think it's Roman 12, be renewed by the uh, transforming of your mind. And so I just said that verse. And she says, thanks, I'm healed. And I thought, hang on, I've not prayed with you. (laughs) I've got this amazing prayer, because it's all about me. But she didn't let me pray with her. I thought she was a bit mad, but she wasn't. She was healed, because I met her two weeks later at a Lent dinner, the same church I was speaking at. Not only was she completely free and off all the medication, the big light and everything, but when her son heard about her being healed, he was doing his daily readings, and he read the verse that says, "'If Christ sets you free, you'll be free indeed.'" And he thought, well, he set my mum free. And with that, he was free of SAD. And then the SAD symptoms in the seven-year-old grandson just seemed to disappear at the same time. Uh, Another person at that uh, even snog was uh, Louise, who said, uh, I won't pray for my daughter. She's not here. But she's suddenly become very angry. She's very difficult to get up in the morning very angry and abusive verbally to me and her dad. Uh, Difficult to get her to go to school, and uh, we don't know what's caused it. And as she told me, I felt something like, you know, as an adult, if you fall over, not only do you feel like an idiot, but (laughs) there's a kind of shock when it happens, isn't there? Because you realise when you're five, it's okay to fall over. But, 
you know, when you, I fell over in Norwich some years back, nearly headbutted this child in a pushchair. I was so embarrassed. All I was trying to do was thinking, I must not headbutt that baby. <laughs> so as I went down, I kind of, I don't know what I did. Anyway, I missed the baby. But there's that, <laughs> there's that shock, isn't there, when you fall over as an adult? And as Penny was, um, as Louise was telling me about her daughter, uh, I, that's what I felt. And I said, I think there's something has happened to your daughter that's made her afraid, and that's coming out in anger. And so we kind of cast out the spirit of fear. A daughter wasn't there. She was at home. And uh, so I met Louise also at the Lent supper uh, later that week. And um, she said, when I got home, my husband said, a strange thing happened at 8 o'clock, which was about the time we were praying. And he said, I was trying to get the daughter to go to bed and she's being horrible. And then suddenly she said, okay, I'll go to bed and just became really polite. And then Louise was seeing her husband off to work at the front door the next morning. And they heard this voice behind them that said, good morning, mummy and daddy. And it was a daughter, school uniform on, school bag packed, ready to go. And that anger had just gone. Um, one more, and then we will pray. I went to Blackpool. That's how courageous I am. <laughs> I'm afraid of nothing. I went to Blackpool, and uh, went to this Anglican church, this lovely vicar. Uh, it was a member of his congregation that wanted to invite me. He'd had no experience with healing at all. He, you know, he, he felt he was right out of his depth. And we're singing the first hymn, and uh, he's, Peter, his name was, and he said to me, what if nothing happens? And I told him that verse I mentioned before. I said, nothing's impossible with God. Uh, so I can't tell you what will happen, but nothing isn't going to be the thing that happens. Something will happen. And um, anyway, someone got an ear popped or something. Some pain went, and uh, I went home. But the following Sunday, they asked for testimonies. And this lady called Irene, who's uh, been registered blind for donkey's years, gave the testimony that she got a sight back at that meeting. And I thought, I'd love to meet her and get the story. Anyway, I was doing their Christmas thing on, on Blackpool uh, Seafront at the Marine Hall. Ken Dodd was on next week. I was like the warm-up man for Ken Dodd. <laughs> and uh, after the service, this lady came up and said, I'm Irene. And I thought, well, that's very nice. Nice to meet you, Irene. She says, no, I'm Irene who was blind. And I oh, right. So what happened? And she said, well, um, when Billy Graham came to Blackpool some years ago, I knew I would get saved and become a Christian at that meeting. And I went forward and I did. And when they said six months before you came, we're going to have a healing service, I thought I'm going to get healed at that service. And uh, she said, the funny thing happened when I said that. She said, normally when I go to bed, when I close my eyes, I just see a white light. But after that night, when they announced the service, I saw this man's face. And every night for six months until the healing service, when I went to bed at night, I saw this man's face. And what happened, this is scary, but uh, what happened was my friend was leading me out of the foyer. And I'd come forward and nothing had happened. But I kept saying, I am going to be healed at this service. But we were on the way out in the foyer. And I said to my friend, lead me to the preacher. I want to shake his hand. And she says, as I shook your hand, my eyes opened. 
and I realized yours was the face I'd been seeing for six months. Now, I don't know what to make of that. Because there were times in that six months when I thought, I think I should probably give up ministry and cancel that healing meeting. Because we all have these ups and downs. And then here was this woman who's been blind for donkey's years and can now see because of something that God did. Um, I want to close and then we'll pray with Luke 9.11, which I think sums up what I'm trying to do and perhaps what the church should try to do. And the second part says, he, of Jesus, he received them or welcomed them. He spoke about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. And for me, that's been my pattern the last 30 odd years. Uh, Welcome or receive people. There's all sorts of weird and wonderful people out there. Some of them are barking mad, but then so am I. welcome them there's got to be that welcome of christ in us and they're all different shapes and sizes and they don't fit with our standards but we have to receive them and welcome them secondly he spoke not about the latest church project he spoke about the kingdom that was his focus for those three years He spoke about this new kingdom, an alternative to the Roman Empire, the brutal Roman Empire. There was a new kingdom of peace and grace and love from the Father. And he healed those who had need of healing. And that's kind of what I feel I've tried to do this morning. Uh, You've welcomed me, I welcome you. And I've tried to speak about my journey part of my journey through the kingdom particularly in the area of healing so we're going to pray now the way I've learned to do this especially from Africa we can waste hours with you telling me what you want prayer for and me probably not understanding all the ins and outs of that and there was a lady in Yorkshire who didn't come forward but she said to me at the end I noticed it was all men praying today so I said, yes, dear, there's a problem with that. I said, yes, I've got women's problems, and if you think I'm discussing them with you, you very much must know. <laughs> and I thought, well, how does this poor lady then, how does she get prayer if we turn up and it's just two men praying? So this is what I do now. So I believe that Jesus is here. We've said that, we've sung it, we believe it. Where two or three gathered, he is there with us. Uh, faith comes through hearing the word i've been reading scriptures and telling my journey about healing and so i'm going to say a prayer and then uh, when i've said that i invite you to come and perhaps just stand here all together not one at a time but all come together and then normally what happens is there's some anointing comes down from god and i will try and lay hands on each person and i'm just going to recite some Uh, healing scriptures as we go past because faith comes by healing the word so i'm not trying to work anything up pull anything down you know do anything zippy you know the holy spirit is a gift fewer who are evil jesus says give good gifts to your children how much more will the father give the holy spirit so it's not dependent on you it's not dependent on me it's a gift from god Okay, let's pray. And then if, you, um, if you've got any physical uh, sickness or problem, 
uh, just come. As I said, I'm not going to ask you that. If you particularly want to just say in a short phrase, as I can pass, if it's important for you to say what it is, do feel free just to sort of tap me on the shoulder and say that. But I'm not asking for anyone. I'm not expecting anyone to speak. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that... uh, Jesus says we can expect the things that he did because we believe in him. And so we're coming like children today in simple faith and believing that what he said is true. We're not sure if we've entirely understood it, but we're coming like children. And you told us to come like children to the kingdom. And uh, as we come and people come forward for prayer, hoping to be healed, Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would do his work and gifts of healing and miracles would be released in our bodies. We pray that a slightly twisted version of the Lord's Prayer, that your kingdom come and your will be done in our bodies and on earth as it is in heaven, we ask in Jesus' name. So I'm just going to ask now if you come and join me at the front. As I said, all come together. Sometimes, sometimes people say at the end, I didn't know if my thing was included. Well, whatever your thing is, it is included. <laughs> so if you're hesitating, um, just come. If you're not sure whether your thing's included, just come. And if you just come forward to let people, because we're going to try and... And then, if you've got people who normally do ministry, if they could just help lay hands on as we go through. And the main thing is try and get everyone who's come forward just to have a hand laid on them. Okay, let's bow our heads in prayer. Just come forward a bit more, because there's, as usual, more people coming than we think. If it's easier for you to sit there, if it's easier to sit, you're right, okay, yeah, okay, so let's open our hands, close our eyes, so open our hands as though we're going to receive a gift, because I believe we are, are. and then I'm going to pray, and the other ministers here are going to sort of lay a hand on your shoulder, and as we pray and hear these scriptures, we believe that God is going to come down and touch you and make you whole from the top of your head to the soles of your feet in body, mind and spirit. Okay, let's pray. Those who are ministering, just lay hands on the sick. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come against every sickness and every disease in these bodies. We break the power of sickness. We declare that the name of Jesus is above every name. It's above the name of disease. It's above the name even of cancer. It's above the name of migraines. It's above the name of pain. It's above the name of fear. The name of Jesus is above every name. And we break the power of sickness and disease now we thank you Jesus that you said behold I make everything new and we thank you that you designed our bodies and we believe right now you're making everything new anything that's out of line anything that's uh, broken or needs attention that you're recreating the thing that you made in the first place in Jesus name nothing missing nothing broken Healing is coming right now. We believe that sickness, disease and pain is going in the name of Jesus. We break the power of sickness. We break the power of addictions. We tell kidneys to be healed. 
we tell lungs to be clear and healed. We tell fear to go in the name of Jesus. We declare uh, wombs and reproductive organs to be healed in the name of Jesus. Hearts to be healed in the name of Jesus. Sickness, disease and pain go in the name of Jesus. You have no authority in these bodies. In the name of Jesus, we break the power of sickness. You have no authority in these bodies. The blood of Christ has paid for our salvation, our soteria, our healing, our deliverance. From the top of our heads to the soles of our feet, we declare that we are healed. By his stripes, we are healed. We're rising up. Let the weak say, I'm strong. And so we rise up, although we don't yet see it. We say, I am healed. Jesus has paid for my healing on the cross with his blood. By his wounds, we are healed. Jesus said, Whoever believes in me from within will flow rivers of living water, rivers of healing, rivers of mercy, rivers of power, rivers of the Father's love, pouring out right now. Freely you have received, freely give. Jesus is freely giving right now. Healing, mercy, forgiveness, a dark past broken, the control of lies that the devil has told you in your ears we break those lies they have no authority there is no future in your past we break that power of a dark past right now you are free you are men and women created in the image of the living God created in God's image you are precious to him he is seeking you just as he sought Zacharias up a tree, that bitter twisted man, he stopped and went to his house. Everyone is included. Whatever you've done, whatever's been in the past, whatever you're doing now that you don't want to do, Jesus sets you free today. He breaks addictions in Jesus' name. He sets you free in Jesus' name. He breaks fear in Jesus' name. He releases you from bullying and hatred of the past right now. And bodies are being healed from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. The Holy Spirit is coming now with healing. Bodies being released and healing. And we tell every cell in these bodies to be conformed to that original likeness of God. Anything that's out of line... Anything that's diseased, we command all growths to disappear right now. You said if we have faith of a mustard seed, we can speak to a mountain and tell it to be removed. We tell every unnatural growth in our body, go! You have no authority in these bodies. You go and be thrown into the sea. You have no power. These people have been purchased with the blood of Christ. Their healing has been purchased by Jesus and he's giving them the gift right now right now healing is coming sickness is going disease is falling right now eyes being opened ears being cleared right now right now heart kidneys lungs bladders bones muscle being restored behold I make everything new whoever believes in me from within will flow rivers of living water and we receive the rivers of healing right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What I'd like you to do now is return to your seat.
and uh, then whatever you came for, if there was something you couldn't do before, if it's something physical, that it's easy to have a go at now, uh, try it when you get back to your seat, and then let us know if you've got free in that. Um, and then just keep in that spirit of faith and prayer, and uh, let's see what happens. Praise God. One last word was I, not only do I not wear a white suit or have a private jet, not that I'm picking holes in anyone else, but I'm not into saying there's a miracle when there isn't a miracle. We don't need to invent miracles. So if you came forward for something that's long-standing... Give it a week. See how it goes this week to be sure. If you feel that's clear now, if it's pain or something, whatever it is, and you feel, well, it's, it feels free now, give it a week and then come and give a testimony at whichever church you're at next week. Okay, we're not trying to zip anything up here. And uh, I'm quite cautious like that because people do make some wild claims and I always think, I don't know. And I was in Middlesex and this guy stood up and said, I've had terrible arthritis in my knees for about 10 years. And when you prayed, the pain has gone. I'm healed. And he was squatting down like this. And I said, well, now, now, let's not rush. So I said, go and see your GP and see what he says. He says, I am a GP. <laughs> and I'm telling you, there's no arthritis in my knees. So I let him have that one because he'd got it medically checked. But... Uh, and then just stir your faith up. Uh, if you got, you know, there's that story of the man who was blind and Jesus prayed and he says, I see men like trees and Jesus prayed again. So if you feel you've got something partial, keep praying, keep pressing through and, uh, you know, just see what God does. Amen. Thanks, Roger. <laughs>